Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Support for this podcast comes from Frito Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of BSH Radio. We are reacting to some big news today, bigger news than we all expected on a Monday, and that would be the firing of one Elaine Vigneault. I was not expecting that when I woke up this morning, and we're going to hear, we're going to talk about it, and we'll see what happens, but I'm Steve Jacot, uh, host of Flyperbole, here with Bill Matz and Eamon Smith. And let's start with Bill. How you feeling today, man? I know you've already talked about this a bunch, but, you know, initial thoughts? No, I, uh, and hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I woke up today, typically, uh, if Ava needs something from me, she knows I'm not just going to, like, hear my phone vibrating, so she plays music on the Alexa from her phone, and that will wake me up, and I'll call her. I do that, and I'm like, okay, she needs, you know, whatever, something's going on. She's like, they fired Vigneault. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. So I gotta, like, get out of bed now. All right, and I just, like, got myself together and Im- immediately jumped on, and, like, I was, like, figuring out getting the, like, post-game thing started as I'm seeing, all right, Mike Yo's the interim, Michelle Tarion's out, and I guess my reaction is I'm a little surprised by the timing. Just, like, right before we started, we said, like, they just came off a three-day break. And you're playing the back-to-back champs and you get embarrassed. Like, if they hadn't been embarrassed last night, would this have gone on another day? Like, all right, and then we play Colorado and they beat the shit out of us. And then he gets fired. Like, uh, it just seems like real odd timing for something that absolutely had to happen. It's not the only thing that needs to happen, but... I'm happy it's it's done and they've started to fix the problem. I'm just a little confused by the timing now. Right. I mean, you had the whole three-day break. It would have been a great time to have a new coach incorporate himself into the new team and, you know, lay down his new system and everything. It's like, no, nah, let's just figure it all out before they play the Colorado Avalanche, one of the, the juggernauts of the West. Just perfect timing. Ugh, it, it really made no sense to me, but I guess getting embarrassed on shore night, one of the most precious nights, when you're representing Wildwood, God forbid you be embarrassed. Everybody at the <laughs> OD is just so goddamn embarrassed that they had to finally do something. <laughs> That's clearly it. It's just the embarrassment. Also with us today is Eamon Smith. Eamon, how are you doing, and what are your initial reactions to this uh, this big news today? I'm, I'm fucking annoyed with the Flyers, not because this shouldn't have happened, because it evidently should have. This was the thing that they had to do. You can't easily change a lot of the other stuff that's going wrong with the team right now, so firing the coaches made sense, and I do think that they were a component of the problem. But 
it's finals week for me. So I'm not exactly pleased that they just dropped this on my plate when I have two exams tomorrow that I need to be worried about. And then another two or three later this week, um, I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the library and just work. And then I checked the Slack as I habitually do and see that Elaine Vigneault had been fired. So it was go mode from there. But honestly, initial thoughts wise, I I talked about this on Flight Perverly the other day. This had to happen. I, I think that at some point, coaches' messages get stale, particularly when they have the sort of delivery that you saw from Big Al and the ass crew. Uh, they, they weren't exactly the friendliest people when it came to kind of interacting with the players. I know that we've heard some stuff, especially out of uh, Charlie's end, about how there were some issues with the assistants after last year, specifically with the way that they talked to the players and treated them, which... I mean, I don't know exactly the details of that, like what they did or didn't do. Maybe it's just the players getting upset about nothing, but I find that kind of hard to believe. Um, but particularly we saw Alain Vigneault kind of dump on Carter Hart. Now, they've obviously made it a uh, more concerted kind of focus this year to be better about interacting with the players. I don't think that's the reason this happened, but I think maybe the message started to get stale last year, and then this year... The players had some trouble executing based upon, I don't think they were great fits for the system that they were running anymore. They didn't really have the horses to kind of play the style that Elaine Vigneault wanted them to play. And then when the results stopped coming in a positive direction, when the shooting percentage uh, dipped a little bit, then we've seen recently some of those individual players have some confidence issues like Ivan Provorov flubbing the puck because he takes that extra second or two to think or same thing with Travis Sanheim overpassing the puck in the slot. Um, it, it seems like a team wide issue now where the players aren't confident. And while that sort of is an individual basis thing, it is part of the coach's responsibility to make sure that the climate of the locker room is under control and well taken care of. So this needed to happen already just because the team is on an eight game losing streak, but I think particularly when you saw them give that effort last night where they just completely laid down and died, given it was against a really good team, but that's unacceptable. And I think that was sort of the breaking point for Fletcher. It ended any sort of deliberation that he had where he was like, this is not going to get any better. There's no shot of this turning around. We need a different voice in that locker room. So that's kind of how I feel about it just in the opening hours here. I feel like Chuck Fletcher looked up and saw his team almost get shut out by Brian Elliott and was like, ah, enough's enough. I can't, I can't do this anymore. That's the no, line. Like, <laughs> that's a, that, like, that's funny and all, but that absolutely is a part of it. Brian Elliott has given up at least three goals in all of his starts this year. And last night, like, you're, you're down a couple. It's not like you have to come back against Vasilevsky. We're talking about goddamn Brian Elliott here, and they had zero chance. And it's something I liked hearing out of Mike Yo today, at least. Like, I don't think Mike Yo's the answer, but who the hell knows? Stupid shit happens in this sport all the time. Like, they'll probably win the cup now. But I did like hearing from Yo, you know, when we give up the first goal, it's not over. Like, we need to have that sort of resiliency and that sort of confidence that if we just play the whole game the way we know how to play, we will end up on the winning side more. And it reminded me a lot of when uh, Hextall was out and Hackstall's out and they buy out McDonald and they get rid of Laterra. Like, 
This is stuff we say about them all the time. Like, one thing goes wrong, and then it just snowballs into a complete disaster. It's nice to see that acknowledged. Like, okay, it's not, like, I'm not just making this up because I'm too close to the situation. Like, the assistant coach who now runs the team says, yeah, when one thing goes wrong, we fold up. And, like, it, whatever that mentality is, whether it's just they don't want to play for the coach anymore or it's a confidence issue, that has to be fixed before anything. Like, personnel issues need to be changed. They need to find a long-term solution to coach, sure. But that little shit, like, that culture stuff, that has to be changed real quick. Oh, yeah. It has to get changed immediately because they just, as we've said a couple times at this point, they laid down and died. They just completely died last night they had no fight in them whatsoever i mean they've been scrapping it up a little bit in the corners but like you got to put up more than one fucking goal on brian elliott it's just that simple and this is their eighth loss in a row at this point they've gotten two points in three weeks at this it's just ridiculous just they've had a tough schedule but enough's enough the hockey's just been god awful there's just nothing from this team right now and Elaine Vigneault finishes his Flyers career 74, 54, and 19 in 147 games coached, 8, 10, and 4 on the season. And it's just like that that start was, you know, there were some concerns for sure, but they were getting wins. They, you know, at least looked more fun. And then they just completely bottomed out recently. And before I am remiss to mention this, Michelle Terrian is out as well, which is huge because we've wanted them to be fired since like game two this year. Well, probably since last year we wanted them fired. That power plays 30th in the league right now, 13.4%. It's abysmal. How it's are there two power, power plays play. worse? How is it possible that there are two worse? They're on like a three or they score. Well, they got one last night. The devils exist. Some, That's yeah, how that happened. This, <laughs> and the coyotes. This is, this is something I want to do on BSH radio this week is like take the context of like when they've actually even scored three goals. Like I know one of them like was against Arizona and it was an empty net goal. So like that doesn't count. You didn't score three that game. Like I want to look at the actual power play goals they have scored and be like, well, like the net was empty on this one. So it was five on five and like you just like cleared it. The one last night, like, no, that doesn't count. You don't get power play. That shouldn't count towards the percentage. It was like six nothing when they scored. Like, so I want to look at, I want to look at the actual context of this to see how bad it is uh one thing that concerns me chuck fletcher still um referencing those first 10 games in which like all right in the first five they scored a ton of goals so i'll grant them that but they were getting straight up lucky in those if you're gonna include the first 10 like all right you beat carolina to from a process standpoint all year right yeah, they've been awful all year. It was just the first five games, they scored a shit ton of goals. Like, sure, they beat Carolina 2-1, but it was because of one guy. His name was Carter Hart. Like, the other guys on the team did not contribute to that win. Oh, they were horrible in that game. They were absolutely abysmal in that game. And he's talking about the first 10 games, like Cam Atkinson wasn't just scoring every time he put the puck in the direction of the net. He scored some of the luckiest goals I've seen in my life. It was a lot of fun, but it was completely unsustainable. Yeah, like, they were... Yeah, Cam Atkinson was never going to score 45 goals this year. Like, that, to think, like, oh, well, if this keeps up, well, guess what? Oh. It won't. It will not. And we saw last night the other thing they were counting on keeping up, the goaltending, 
Well, when you get when you never have a lead, eventually the goal. I don't care who the goalie is. It's gonna break eventually. Like if they. It, not even if Carter Hart's lost for the season, if he lost his confidence. I'm saying if he has a bad two weeks, this is going to be a 20-game losing streak. Oh, yeah, 100%. And the defense isn't doing them any favors at this point either. At least at a certain point, you could say the defense was a little tighter. or something. It, it's, it's not anymore. I don't even know if it ever was. Like, Eamon, do you think it was actually tight at any point, or is it just like, no, well, no. It hasn't, it hasn't been good, good since Elaine Vigneault's first year here. And even then, it was... It was more so that they weren't letting the opposition do a good job of establishing offensive zone time, I think is more of the sort of recipe for success that they had that year. Because if you go back and you watch, I think this was the most jarring thing after that bubble stretch where we were like, what the hell happened? Why is this team looking so different? Is they used to be a lot more confident in the neutral zone, specifically when it came to stand-up poke checks, and just taking the puck the other way, playing positionally disciplined, and then also just holding onto the puck throughout the neutral zone. Now, they would dump it in, obviously. They were still a really dump-and-chase heavy team, but they were holding the other team to low-percentage plays through the neutral zone into the offensive zone, and that was sort of what happened there. Because you would still see there would be times that the defense would get victimized because Phil Myers would be out of position or Travis Sanheim would get out-muscled to the net or something like that, but it wasn't happening often enough because there just weren't as many iterations or opportunities for that to occur. Now it's like the Flyers never have the fucking puck, and they're they're not aggressive in the neutral zone. They don't really have the ability, I don't think, to be aggressive in the neutral zone and succeed, at least not while they're not playing confidently, especially with Kevin Hayes missing. And then when the opposition gets in the offensive zone, you just do not have the players to play defensively conservative hockey like Elaine Vigneault was kind of coaching them to do. I do think that is one of the coaching tweaks we saw under him that ended up going the wrong direction, which is you see guys standing around the zone a lot more this year as opposed to last year where you would see people sort of chasing play. I think they swung a little far in the other direction and... The problem is you look at that decor, though, and you're like, well, if they played aggressively, I don't know that that would really work either. Because if you're telling Rasmus Ristolainen, go chase the puck, go be aggressive and physical, he's going to be caught out of position nine times out of ten because he's just or he's not gonna, a... <laughs> he's yeah, not or he's going to board somebody. Player. Like, and yeah, then you're yeah, getting a penalty. Yeah, like, I like what I've seen out of Ristolainen so far, but like... A star who can just chase you around the ice and harass you. He is not. Uh, that's no. something I wanted. To, something I wanted to ask is what happened. Um, like nineteen twenty, beginning of the year, things are trending in the upward direction. They're treading water, results wise, but it's obviously what we'd been through with Hackstall, an improvement. Then December happens. The Limblom stuff. It's an abject fucking disaster. They come back January to March. It's the best hockey we've seen in this town in a long, long time. We go into the bubble. All right, those first three, whatever, exhibition games to determine seeding, whatever they were, we win them. Awesome. The Montreal series starts, 
And I really feel like that's when the super conservative shit happened. And I thought, this is a direct... At first, I thought it was a direct, smart coaching move. Montreal is not better than the Flyers, but they are much, much faster. So let's just neutralize that. Let's turn it into a game they cannot beat us in, and they did not. We win the series. And it was basically all downhill from there. Like, they never got back to the level they were before that, and it seems to have started in those playoffs, and they've been bad ever since, basically. What happened? I mean, it's like, not only do you have whatever that coaching shift was, and then they just get hit extra hard with the pandemic last year, which, you know, you can use that as an excuse so far, but, like, they seem to be using it for, you know, the end-all, be-all. Like, every, not every guy on that team had COVID and suffered through COVID, and but they they seem to use it a little bit too much as an excuse, even though it is a valid excuse to a certain point. But they it is and it isn't. Like, every team is playing in the same league. Exactly. And they got hit by it hard right before, I think it was the, the, the outdoor game. The outdoor game, yeah. They played that farce. And then... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they just never got better from that. And then I, I have no idea why the coaching, like, got so conservative. Why everybody just ended up... It's it's a mystery to me. And it's... You know, they blamed a lot of it on goaltending last year. And then Fair. they got the goaltending this year. And they still weren't doing shit with it. So I, it's just this team just completely blew up in such a spectacular fashion. It's so frustrating that we're sitting here talking about Vigneault getting fired today after we're talking about a potential coach of the year not even that long ago. Yeah, that's kind of what's wild to me. But I I think sort of what happened here is teams back in like 2019, 2020 didn't really understand how to play this iteration of the Flyers when they started playing really well. They were like, what the fuck? What do we do about this? They're they're super aggressive and they're they're taking the puck off our stick in the neutral zone. How do we counteract this? We don't really know because we've never seen this team play this way before. Now that the league has gotten a look at them, uh, specifically, I think that Islanders playoff series was where it started to fall apart. And this is sort of I don't I don't mean to drag my other sort of rooting interest franchise into the discussion here, but this is sort of what happened with the Nashville Predators when they played the Dallas Stars a while ago is they went up against a coach who kind of figured out how to dismantle their system and exploited a very clear weakness in the way that they played. And then from there, the rest of the league took that same blueprint and started to apply it. With the Flyers, what the league sort of figured out is this is a team where outside of maybe, uh, yeah, I'd say basically for all the defensemen, if you put heavy forechecking pressure on them, they are not going to be able to make the decisive uh, action necessary in order to get the puck out quickly and start a breakout from that. They're going to cough it up. You're going to gain possession, and then you can just outwork them. They're not a quality team when it comes to, I guess, playing against the cycle in their defensive zone. And that's what we've seen across the league is teams start to get more and more aggressive when playing the Flyers, when it comes to forechecking, jumping the zone early, um, and making sure that they're just going crashing into the boards. Because when you go after Ivan Provorov, when you go after Travis Sanheim, even with Rasmus Ristolainen, who is a big, big physical guy, you're going to be able to take the puck off of them more than half the time. And that leads to success in terms of driving play the other direction. So 
that was the main thing that I noticed. I think that is a player issue, but there are ways as a coach that you can try to counteract that in terms of drilling stuff into players' heads in practice, tweaking the way that you look at breakouts and countering that forechecking structure. And I just didn't see that happening from Elaine Vigneault. Instead, I think what he and the brain trust over there kind of thought was the fix is, well, if we play more conservatively and give guys more time to get set in the defensive zone, maybe this will not be a problem. And in reality, that ended up making everything worse. So I think that's maybe where everything started to unravel. Some of this too is just that players performed in 2019, 2020 that have not performed since like Travis Konechny, for example. So it's it's not all on Elaine Vigneault. I think Bill earlier this morning when he was hosting sort of the post-game thing with callers and everything made that very clear that this is not the Elaine Vigneault is totally at fault show. This is not what I think any of us believe, but it was the move to be made right now. And I don't think he was making anything better. I, I look at this roster and I see enough talent to where maybe with the right coach, they could turn it around and be a bubble playoff team again. But I mean, maybe maybe we want to ask this question right now. Maybe we want to move on to the Chuck Fletcher press conference and stuff. But is that really in the best interests of the team to be a bubble playoff team this year? Man. Or is that just, eh? The one it's so thing... frustrating. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just going to say, it's just it's frustrating. Again, we were talking about this the other day, Eamon. Like, this roster feels like it's, again, aiming for mediocrity. And that just sucks. And what I have to wonder is... You know, Chuck Fletcher spoke a lot at his press conference about being frustrated about not getting a proper evaluation of the roster, uh, especially under Elaine Vigneault here. And how confident are we that he's going to make further moves from here? Because it really feels like this team needs at least a couple more moves at bare minimum. Yeah, like the one thing I'll say about if they're able to salvage this season, which is questionable because, man, we've seen this team. It's not like a few years ago. Where it was like, oh yeah, they'll come out of it, because they always do. Like, we've now seen it spiral out of control a couple of times. And they just never right the ship. Um, the one thing, though, if the goaltender is this good, that changes what a bubble play... Like, a bubble playoff team with a goalie this good can go on, like, a little bit of a run. It's not just going to be, yeah, and we saw Washington in the first round, and we won twice. Like... There could be an actual series or two that you're in. But long term, no. It's the absolute wrong thing for them to salvage this season. They need more talent. Like, that's all there is to it. The coach is bad, sure. They've had some bad luck. Injuries, COVID, whatever you want to blame, absolutely. There isn't a star-level player on this team. After what... 13 years, Claude Giroux is still the best player. And there's nobody close. Like, that's not good enough. You don't... A guy in decline cannot be your best player. Yeah, absolutely. We keep waiting for guys like Farabee and Konechny to take the reins there. And it... We've had two consecutive seasons where it feels like, okay, Konechny, he's ready to take that leap. He's ready to be the offensive guy. And then he completely regresses. And then... Farabee at the, I don't know, the first two months last year, it really felt like he was ready to take the reins. And then again, he's gone up and down. He's been all over the place and there's just not anybody with 
even close to that level of Claude Giroux skill from even now, as you're saying, uh, offensively to really take the reins and, and be the dude on offense. And they, they need somebody. They need more talent there. And even getting like a Cam Atkinson, who certainly scores more goals, but like he's not a star player. He's just a supplemental piece who can score some goals and play some defense. And that's pretty much it. He's JVR who shoots. Like, JVR, <laughs> yeah. JVR gets tips, and Cam Atkinson shoots the puck. But they're essentially the same production, and you need a player like that. You absolutely need depth scoring, yeah. but they don't have that guy. That point-per-game, 35-goal guy. It just doesn't exist for them. It doesn't even need to be that guy, but, like, and I, I want to save some of this for uh, later discussion, but... Do they, do they have players besides Sean Couturier who can drive a line? This is the question, I think, no. that we're, we're sort of facing down here. Or, or a pair, this applies to, because that's, that's where we have to take a long look at Ron Hextall's rebuild and assess it and kind of come out the other side saying this was an abject failure. Because who have they drafted under that regime that has come out the other side and been a consistent line-propelling player. We've seen stretches of some of these guys doing that, specifically Travis Konechny, Oscar Lindblom for like 20-something games before he was just unfortunately had his season ended by cancer. I mean, you can't predict that, and that's no blame to him or anything like that, obviously. But, I mean, Travis Sandheim has driven offense, but he still has such glaring flaws as a player that I think if you considered him anything other than a complimentary defenseman who needs a solid uh, guy who can play in his own zone to play with in order to be at his most effective, then you're just, I mean, kind of pulling the wool over your own eyes there. Ivan Provorov needs a good defensive partner to play with in order to be a top pair or even really just a good NHL defenseman is kind of what we're seeing now, uh, or good NHL defenseman in heavy minutes, I should say. But yeah, that's, well, that's what we're running like, into. It, it feels like the best we've gotten out of that era are B level players, maybe B plus at best middle for, sixers you know, and second pair guys. Like that's all yeah. they have. Connect me, Farabee, Provorov. Well, it, it was Provorov under Hextall. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, ninth yeah, overall okay. pick or seventh, right. one of the two. He was seventh, right, yeah. right? So you know those guys, they're all like pretty good players, but nobody is a game breaker. And even like Morgan Frost, who probably had, I would say maybe the highest offensive upside of most of these guys, is still looking like you know on his best day he's probably going to be a B plus player. It's a bunch of B plus players on their best days. Yeah, that's that's what we're kind of hitting now, and I think. You look at the way that teams have won in the modern NHL, and it's not it's not the way that this roster is constructed, frankly. That's that's just the truth of the matter is how many teams that are built around just pure depth and winning based upon system execution and hockey IQ, which is what this team is because they do not have the skill to go out there and or speed to compete with a lot of these other teams. They have to win based upon just executing better than anybody else um, and playing smarter than anybody else. How often have we seen a, a deep team like that win the Stanley Cup? The answer is we haven't. Um, outside of maybe you could argue the St. Louis Blues are the closest thing to this team in terms of structure. But that team had good defensemen. So I, I think well, that's a little different. Yeah, they had Tarasenko and they had Petrangelo. Yeah, they have Petrangelo on their top pair. Yeah. Yeah. 
Colton Pareko, I mean, Vince Dunn, that that was a good defensive roster with a guy like Tarasenko who could make you a little bit scared, even if he wasn't playing at his peak at that point. So none of the championship teams or even the teams that have made deep runs in the playoffs consistently outside of the Islanders, who are like Islanders, the outlier yeah. of all outliers, really are in the mold that the Flyers are built in. None of them are. So you have to sit there and kind of question, okay, is is just the thought process behind the way that this team is constructed incorrect? And I think looking at it objectively, what I'm seeing is this is a team that's built to make the playoffs, but it's not a team that's built to win a cup. And what I mean by that is in order for them to win a Stanley Cup, the way to win a cup in the modern era is you need to take like 10 cracks at it, like the Lightning have, right? Because for all of the talents you could have, bullshit's going to happen. You're going to get unlucky. is pinball. Like, there's yes. a lot of luck involved. It's nuts. So you need to have repeated cracks with a core that you build around. You supplement by continually drafting good middle six talent that you can replace when you don't have the cap space in order to replace those guys when they leave for free agency, right? Instead, what we've seen with the Flyers is a team where they're like, we will make the playoffs a couple times in the span of a few years when things go right for us, which is, I think, what they thought was going to happen is like, we make the playoffs three or four times in the span of five years, then we probably have to rebuild. And then if everything goes right and our goalie gets hot, we can maybe make a deep run. Not win a Stanley Cup. I don't think that was the realistic expectation, but if our goalie gets hot, maybe we can make a conference final. Is that really what we should be building towards here? Is that really what the plan should be? Is that what the roster construction should be? Because I think that's what it's trended in the direction of. And that makes me consider this a situation where you should actually go into a full teardown and tank. Um, And that's not just a, because they're already on the path of being a pretty high draft pick this year, but selling assets early so you can gauge what you have in your young players and exactly what you need to bring in to supplement their development and then getting those draft picks before you know exactly where everybody is that you might luck into a top pick in the draft are we on that path right now well let's just put it out there then if we're on that path are we on the trade Claude Giroux train because that's he's gonna be expensive to re-sign especially the way he's playing right now and that's your most valuable asset and if you're gonna if you can get a one for Claude Giroux right now, plus some other stuff, do you do it? Man, it's so, like, you can't let him leave for nothing, right? Like, I would Absolutely love, not. I would love, you know, for lots of reasons, I would love for G to stay here forever. But, like, can they afford it? Like, he is, he and Jake Voracek were basically the reason we didn't tack. Like, it was those two dragging this team along into somewhat relevance that kept us in the 9 to 14 range in the draft. So, like, can if you keep him around, will he continue to do that? I, I hate the idea of trading him, and I think you have to. I'd agree. I agree. It, it's, I, it makes me feel disgusting. It's, I, I, I hate, hate it myself. so much. I just literally, you know, he's going to be traded because I just ordered uh, an old like 2012 Winter Classic G jersey off eBay. So like, kiss of death. You know, it's yeah. I jinxed it. It's done. No, it's obviously not on me. That's bullshit. But like, did you get the fake one with the flyers in cursive, or did you get the real? Of course, the tiger. The tiger. I got the real one. I love that jersey. 
No. The Tony the Tiger You also one. love the Smashville jersey, so I, I trust none of your they opinions. Tried, they, tried, they tried something different. Everyone's, oh, hockey's so boring. They never try anything. Team tries something. Oh, my God, throw it in the garbage. Bill, like, it's like it's a bad different. T-shirt that my high school swim team would have made. It's, <laughs> it's, it's awful. It's awful. Smash. I just like the idea of wearing something that says Smashville. Like the jokes on jokes are just so great. Yeah, like, but like, why is that the primary logo? Why okay, would you okay, do okay. that? We, we could talk about Smashville for hours right now, and I will have a whole special you're right, you're right, you're right. on the Smashville jersey. I will. I could talk jerseys for days. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Mike Yo, okay? And let's talk about the coaching situation. So, Mike Yo is the interim coach right now. And his previous experience was with the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues. He was 173, 132, and 44 with the Wild. And he was 73, 49, and 11 with the Blues, where he was fired for Craig Berube. Yikes. But, you know. The boomerang just. Everything uh, comes back around in hockey. It really does. But the thing about Mike Yo is, like, obviously it's not an exciting name at all. And I personally feel like he's very much an interim, especially seeing a lot of the the news floating out there. Chuck Fletcher really went out of his way to make it seem like, oh, he's going to be, he's going to get a fair shot. He's going to be in there in a while. And I think that's just because he knows them from way back when and they're buddies. But like, I mean, the name that keeps floating out there is, is Rick Tockett is the big name. And I mean, does anybody else feel like, you know, Mike Yo is going to get more than a couple games before they hire somebody? No. I'm I not don't. I'll say I I'm not positive they don't just go with Yo the rest of the year because this thing like it needs they need so many things. They don't know what direction to go in and like any coach out there is going to want a multi-year contract, you know? I just don't see I don't see the point of bringing someone else in unless you know they're here for the future and you know what direction you're going in. And there's no way they have any of that figured out right now. I will say, like, in terms of the near future, what coach, what, what's today, December 6th, what coach at this point who's thinking he's had the he's got the holidays off is like, oh, yeah, let me take a job now. Like, that's fucking asinine. I'd be like, yeah, call hey, me Bruce on January. Boudreau just did it. Call John me on Tortorella. January 2nd. <laughs> it's John Tortorella. That's the guy who would do that, and you all know it. Oh, my I God. I want torts for such selfish reasons. <laughs> yes, of course you do. Oh. To yell at Charlie. <laughs> to yell at Charlie. Oh my God. That's it. <laughs> I want Chuck you. Fletcher's giving Charlie, like, nice little, you know, call-outs today. You know, saying about Hey, Charlie. Uh, Charlie, that's a hard question. But, uh, hey, Charlie. And then, like, Tortorella's going to be like, Charlie, the bait of my existence. Oh, my God. Throwing a shoe at him. The content that would come out of Tortorella would be outstanding. It would be great for podcasting. It would be great for blogging. I could not stand it as a fan of this hockey team. But for all that stuff, oh, it would be amazing. This is awful, but it's tremendous content. (laughs) It's literally that. I wanted Boudreaux just because I think he looks like Ham, and that's funny to me. (laughs) It does. Make Bill the president of this team. Let him make all the hires. What, Maybe what, we'll get Claude Julian because <laughs> Claude Julian looks like the dude from King of the Hill. So that's, you know, we'd have that going for us if they hired him. Who's that, Cotton Hill? 
No, no, no. He doesn't look like Cotton Hill. He looks like uh, Hank's friend, the one with like the receding hairline. Oh, Bill, and, uh... Bill Ducci. Yeah, Bill, yeah. I see it. Yeah, Craig always used to point that out to me that he looked like that guy. He a hundred percent does, and like. You can have that, but yeah, you're right. Bruce Boudreaux does look like Ham, and I'm I'm disappointed he got hired before. I, that was like, I think it was the combination of the embarrassment and seeing the Boudreaux news. It's like, oh, I gotta oh, move shit. one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> it, did, did it? Okay, I I realized they got embarrassed last night, but it it really feels like, um, all right, we're not first. Like someone else did something. We're not that. We're not the most desperate. Like <laughs> it's like waiting for somebody to go to the buffet line at a wedding. Yes. Okay, I'm not the first person getting dinner, so I don't look like the fat ass. No, no one ever wants to be the first one at a party. Like, ah, oh, fuck, it's just me and the host. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> Can I help you set up or something? Yeah. I don't know. Just sitting and awkwardly watching TV in silence. How's your day? Good. <laughs> Good. Just great. So who do you guys like? for coach moving forward for the rest of the year? Do you want to stick with Yo, or do you like one of these names on the list? Like, the list, just real quick, like, I've seen Tockett out there, Tortorella, Claude Julian, and Jim Montgomery was another name I've seen mentioned. I, because I wanted, I wanted Montgomery years ago, and I realized there have been issues, um, assuming they're all sorted. I heard he's been, you know, sober for quite some time. Uh, I like Jim Montgomery, man. I, I, I know people who've worked with him who say he's a great dude, good coach. I would love Montgomery. I just, if this thing has to be torn down, I always love the idea in theory of, all right, you get the guy and then he brings everyone along with him and then when you're ready to go, everybody's on the same page. But you know that never works. Like, every process, that that guy eventually gets fired and then you got to bring someone else in. Uh, so... I think it would be cool to hire a coach now. I just kind of think it's not really going to matter until like two years from now. So I would say for my pick for this spot, um, it depends on what the Flyers want to do here. Because if they want to turn the season around and have a crack at going to the postseason, I don't know that that's the right idea to have here. But I would say, honestly, John Tortorella is probably the best hire that they could make here just because... I mean, it might be, it might not be, you have to read the locker room a little bit, but I do think that maybe the reason that Elaine Vigneault, Elaine Vigneault and Michel Therrien are like a different kind of asshole. They're brands of asshole, right? And <laughs> John subtle. Tortorella, John They're Tortorella. They're subtle assholes. <laughs> it's, it's like subtle wine assholes. tasting. There's differences in the flavor here, right? Oh, this is a bit oaky. <laughs> but yeah, like. John Tortorella, if he was a whiskey, he was made in a different cask than uh, Elaine Vigneault, right? He's got he's got a different flavor to him. I think that reading reading like books where he's given interviews and stuff like that, his message is always pretty much the same, which is that he really does care about the players. And I do think that, um, like if you if you look at anything he's done, he may be a little bit of a dick, but it definitely doesn't come from a place of like these players need to like listen to what I'm saying because I'm a genius or anything like that. His opinion of the like way that coaching should be done and the reason that he does that, uh, he said, is that if you are an asshole to the players and you challenge them, they all sort of coalesce to work against you um, because they have a common enemy. It's sort of like with fraternities, how you know they, they just 
constantly beat up on the uh, kids who are rushing, right? Um, and then that supposedly the idea behind it is it makes them closer together because they all dislike the older people. So for Torts, that's his perspective on coaching is if I'm a dick, then everybody is going to want to work harder to prove me wrong and they'll work together in order to make that happen. So it's a different sort of message than Elaine Vigneault and Michel Therrien, which I think was more of that, listen to us and everything will go well. And if you don't listen to us, then you're a fucking idiot, right? Um, Be a fucking flyer. Yeah, so... Sort of, sort of, that's, if you want to turn the season around, Torts is your guy, I think. Um, you got to read the locker room and make a decision on whether or not they'd be able to handle a guy as intense as him, but he has mellowed out a little bit, and he's been known for getting the most out of teams that don't have as much, so he's a good fit in that regard. Fair point. If you're looking to the future, I would agree with Bill that Montgomery is maybe the best pick of the people available, or Rick Tockett, uh, because Rick Tockett kind of fitting in that Tortorella mold, um, but a little bit different there, where he was with the Coyotes for a while, um, and he was with the Penguins for a while too, and sort of worked to build that culture and identity there. Now with the Coyotes, since they were so poorly run, he just never had any talent on that roster, and he took them to the fucking playoffs. Uh, One time, and it was a bubble game, but they beat the Nashville Predators in a series, and outplayed them heavily in that series, by the way. And then, I mean, that that team, I watched more than was probably reasonable for any person to watch of those Coyotes teams, and I thought they were well-coached. They got the most out of what they had there. I don't know that Taka is the guy. Um, I would maybe want the Flyers to take a look at uh, Gronberg overseas, because I think he would be interesting if you're trying to conduct a rebuild. He's done a great job. Uh, with the national teams that he's coached, but that would require them to go really far outside the box. And I think we are pretty closely removed still from uh, them hiring Dave Haxtell and that, you know, kicking them in the nuts. So I don't know that they'd be as comfortable with doing that, but we've gone the retread direction this past time and that didn't work either. So maybe it's time to go back outside the box. The thing about reading the locker room, have they lost that benefit like, oh, well, maybe he wouldn't be a fit. Like, I kind of, like, the uh, other than yelling at Charlie, I would want Tortorella to come in here to, like, either be tough enough to play for him or you're not tough enough to play. Like, that's, uh, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. This team has been through enough coaches now, and we just had a summer where it was like, oh, the fit in the locker room, we made it better, we brought in all these leaders to help out. Well, Things are worse than ever. So, I really... Yeah, you obviously want someone who the players will be able, you know, to handle and play for and get this thing turned around. But I also think it would be a great litmus test. Like, John Tortorella, we can laugh about, you know, his press conferences and he's a dickhead and all sorts of things he says and does. But the guy's had a lot of success in this league. And if you're not able to play for him, it's probably a you problem. Okay, you know what? You talk me into it. Let's go torts. Let's get spicy. Let's do it. I will say what he did those last few years in Columbus is pretty outstanding. I mean, those teams stunk. Those teams stunk. They were terrible. And he got a lot out of those teams. They were always annoying as hell to play against. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. And I I thought he was going to be out of there in two years. So the fact that he was there for six years is 
outstanding. Yeah, let's get spicy. You want to get nuts? Fuck it. Let's get Fuck nuts. It. <laughs> let's go. Fuck it. Let's I mean, it. if they're trying to do the whole we just need to make the playoffs and hope our goalie gets hot thing, Torts fits that idea yeah, to a T. Exactly. I'm not excited about that. I wouldn't be like, I'm not going to be jumping up and down if john tortorella walks through that door and is like hey let's let's get this going or whatever like the fonzie's walking like hey yeah but like jukebox in the corner that would be fucking hilarious never mind i'd i'd actually like be super stoked if he did i would jump up and down if that (laughs) i want it i want this so bad now he's got a leather jacket on hey yeah he just walks in with sunglasses indoors oh my god all right uh tortsy let's do it torts all the way let's ride all right, great. Perfect. <laughs> but yeah, like if that's um, what they're trying to do, he's their guy. Okay. Well, any parting thoughts before we sign off on the the coaching search and the 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 brave new world we find ourselves in? Uh, I'm probably going to be on Broad Street Hockey Radio, which is pretty wild cuz never right. done that before and uh been listening to that show since middle school so stop stop (laughs) we know you're young and we're old you don't i don't want to hear that shit stop it bad go to your room there's a bucket list item crossed off uh that should have happened much earlier this year but i forgot how time zones worked so that'd be pretty cool wasn't there like a lawn on fire or something oh yeah uh, a lawnmower caught fire so that happened but uh you know besides the point that's why I live in the city. Uh, I don't have to worry stuff. about such things. I just have to worry about tire fires across the city. Wow. Yeah. That's just another day. That's just another day in Philly. Uh, Bill, parting thoughts on the uh, the whole situation? Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm like real torn on the direction I want them to take. Like, I know that they need to tear this thing down and start over. And we've said a bunch of times, like, it's not right for them to like just kind of salvage the season and try to make the playoffs. But we have to watch every game. Every game. And I don't want to watch this bad, awful shit anymore. I know I'm going to have to watch, like, two, three years of bad hockey. Like, that's coming. I'll put it off, I guess. Like, there are no good options right now. Everything is bad for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, But who knows? Like, Craig Berube won a goddamn Stanley Cup. Stupid shit happens all the time. You could you put know, a tiki head behind the bench and you could win a Stanley Cup for all we know. <laughs> Honestly, Nate Thompson. I'm willing to try it. Look at the way, look at the Nate way, ev- look at the way everybody came to Nate Thompson's defense. Like, Alex <laughs> Appleyard. <laughs> a- exactly. Alex Appleyard says one thing about how the coach is making a mistake playing Nate Thompson. And everybody in hockey is all of a sudden defending this star, Nate Thompson. Maybe he's an excellent leader. Maybe he's the guy. Alaskan hero. <laughs> I'm telling you, we got to bring player coaches back. Make it happen. Or, actually, we'd be better off if you just coach because he's not a good player. <laughs> but, you know, leave Nate Thompson alone. Stop bullying him <laughs> as he wipes his tears with his millions of dollars. <laughs> and his beard. Well, I think it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. I believe that's where the contract's at. <laughs> well, well, you know, right now, but he's gotten paid that adds up. in the yeah, past. He's been in the league like 12 years. Well, she's rich. She's if fine. he's been a wise investor, you know, yeah. it could be like Ben Simmons buying a new car every day or whatever the report was there. But, you know, let's not talk about Ben Simmons. Let's not talk about that at all. We have enough bad stuff to talk about with the Philadelphia Flyers. But, it's yes, it, 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 it's all bad, and I guess we're going to see what happens. But, you know, it's it's never dull. It's just bad. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we've talked about this plenty, and we got at least a couple more podcasts coming up this week. So make sure you tune into all of those. For Bill, for Eamon, thanks so much for listening, and God help us. <laughs>